Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway, so join us as we discuss how together we can build a fairer, a more equal and a more prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that our listeners are informed, that they're encouraged to get involved and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland. The past few years have only served to highlight what allowing Westminster to make choices for us is like. So let's make the choices we want for our families and our communities right here in Scotland. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP. Now let's find out who's joining me on Scotland's Choice today. So I'm Tony Giuliano and I'm the uh, policy convener, the policy development convener for the FC. And uh, Tony, uh, obviously you've uh, you've been around in uh, politics for uh, quite a while now. What got you into politics and how did you become a part of the independence movement? What brought you to that position? So actually it was my grandfather that was particularly political and politicised me when I was quite young uh, and was, uh, well, essentially it was an Italian communist, an old school Italian communist. Um, and... Uh, when I was growing up, it was the Berlusconi years. So that got me really interested in what was happening in Italy. And I was following a lot of the, what was happening there uh, through, you know, Italian TV and reading Italian newspapers and that kind of thing. So that really got me politicized at home. Um, and, and I guess um, it wasn't really until I, I went to university that I joined the European movement there. Uh, and I felt at the time that the UK was going in a very Eurosceptic direction. And that was actually during Gordon Brown. So it was, um, it wasn't even during the Tory years of Brexit. It hadn't even been thought of. Um, I remember writing an article in 2005, suggesting that the UK should have a referendum on, uh, or, or, or that the UK would have a referendum on the EU within the next 10 years. And in the end it did, um, I kind of felt at the time that, that Scotland could do better as an independent, as an independent country in the EU and, and having its own say. So, so I guess it was, it, it was that idea of, um, Scotland in the world stage and Scotland having its own voice in the world stage. That, that's really what brought it to the SAP. Well, to that end, uh, Tony, I understand that you've hosted a seminar recently on independence. Could you uh, tell me and the listeners uh, a bit about it and whether or not we can look forward to other such events uh, coming up in the near future? Yeah, so, so we had our, our first independent seminar in January uh, with uh, Mike Russell, uh, our party president, and, and Kirsty Hughes. Um, and it, it was a great event. It was, it was sold out um, within 24 hours. I think it shows really the appetite, Drew, you know, and, amongst our membership um on on independence issues and and having discussions about some of the uh, main issues um around independence i mean the idea behind these really is to give our activists the tools to to, to equip them to have conversations of course then and um, on some of the trickier perhaps you know you call them that issues um and you know the idea is not to shy away from them but to tackle them head on um, so, so we started with EU membership and EU accession and what that might look like and, you know, how to get from A to P. Um, and, um, we're hoping to have our next seminar on the 25th of May, uh, with Gordon McIntyre Kemp, um, 
and Karen Adam uh, as as um, as our two uh, and Alison Thulet. So we'll have three speakers. Well, here on Scotland's Choice, you mentioned the EU. We, we've talked with several guests now about the EU and why it's uh, so important to rejoin. That seems to be a recurring theme with all of the uh, guests that we've had. It, there's There's been some real, really common threads throughout all of the uh, the answers that we've, we've had from people, but some interesting uh, points that perhaps aren't as common. Um, and it's always interesting, I think, to hear uh, different perspectives. So with that in mind, uh, what would you say are the main, uh, the, the primary, uh, you know, benefits that we stand to gain after uh, rejoining the EU? Well, we would be part of a market that's seven times bigger than the UK. So we were dragged out of the EU against our will. We would have a, a seat at the top tables of Europe. We would be able to, you know, represent our national interest in the way that the UK never really did. You know, even when we were part of the EU, uh, as part of the UK, you know, whether it was fisheries or uh, or, or climate change or, 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 or any issue, really, it was the UK that led on, you know, nine times out of 10, I think, you know, uh, I think one time on fisheries, instead of allowing our own um, cabinet secretary, they, they sent an unelected member of the House of Lords to represent the UK at, at an EU summit. So even when we were part of the uh, EU within the UK, you know, we weren't able to voice our own distinct national interests. So I think that's that's the main point for me, is that we will be able to shape um, and, you know, and influence also the EU agenda overall. I mean, if you look at countries like Ireland or Malta, mm. you know, um, small member states, but actually, historically, it's been the smaller member states that have had, you know, some 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 of the best EU presidencies. For example, they were the most effective EU presidencies, putting things high up on the agenda. Um, Ireland really being able to uh, to pull its weight around Brexit and the EU demonstrating that it stands by its member states, you know, and the way that it stood by Ireland throughout the Brexit saga. And it still does, and it and it will it continue to. Um, so, so really, um, for for me, it's about it's it's political, it's cultural, it's economic, um, it's the, the 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 social ties that, that that we all have. I mean, I, you know, my family moved here in in the fifties. It can dip back and forth. I was born in Italy, and then I moved here in the nineties. So, for me, the kind of feel of of movement concept is is very much part of you know of who I am, the idea that you can live, work, study, retire in any country uh, within a, a broader union of independent states is something that I think we should celebrate. So from a cultural perspective, from a social perspective, but also, you know, economically as well, we've benefited from EU nationals over the years and the, uh, the you know, the, the contribution that, that they've made to our economy, to our, to our history and society. Yeah, I just want to pick up on one thing you were uh, talking about there just now. And we're talking about the economics. Uh, the uh, I cover international trade. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting is how totemic fisheries became uh, throughout the Brexit process. Um, and how, you know, the, the EU was lambasted for uh, for the common fisheries policy. But you were talking about the history of that. Of course, we, we all know that when the UK joined the EU, 
uh, you know, back or the common market back in the seventies, fisheries were seen as expendable. That's on record. Um, and it's been that same way. You were talking about how Scottish ministers never actively involved in the uh, discussions. So UK ministers, you know, really treating that as second best. And we've seen the results now as we've come out the other side of Brexit, that fisheries have pretty much been torn apart by the, the lack of any interest from the UK uh, government in it. Uh, so that must be particularly galling when you're you, when you're looking at these things, and 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 we're talking quite rightly about the benefits of rejoining, but you can see the the uh, the real damage that's been done by being dragged out against our will. Absolutely, Drew, and you'll know yourself, you know, from re representing uh, you know that, that part part of Scotland, um, just how much um, you know your communities will have felt. Um, you know, not, not be able to have a, a direct access to the, to the market that they've always had the red tape that has added on to that process. I mean, our fishing industry was literally on its knees, particularly in the, in, in the early months, uh, of, of last year. And, uh, you know, this is, this is self-inflicted. Um, so, you know, um, we could have so many debates about the, the common fisheries policy and, and and how it can be best reformed, you know, I mean, looking at how our industry has been let down time and time again by successive UK governments, I think that Scotland's voice on the European stage would be better heard. We would be able to reform systems in a way that suits our needs as well and make the case for that. Um, in a way that the UK government simply hasn't done over the past 40, 45 years for us. Yeah. So, so if all goes to plan and Scotland becomes what would be a normal state for a country, an independent country, uh, over the next few years, how, how likely is it that Scotland could rejoin the EU fairly quickly? We've, we've all heard the arguments against this, uh, referencing things like, you know, Scotland's perceived deficit and that could, we could do another. Uh, showing that, just talking about um, uh, about the the holes in that argument, but also things like you know adopting the euro, the the, the, the Spanish veto, amongst other, all these things are thrown up as uh, arguments. Uh, what would you say back to people saying we couldn't uh, join the EU? Yeah, well, actually, I mean, last time it was full of bogus stories, all sorts of claims about how we would be able to join you for all sorts of. But I think we should also just for you continue. I think we should also say that last time we were told in 2014, if we voted, uh, yes, we would be kicked out of the EU and we'd fight that company. Well, that's right. That, ben, that, I'm sorry. That, ben, right. So, so actually we're, we're in a position as, as we know, where, you know, um, we're, we're out of the EU against our will, despite the fact that we'd be told, we were told that, um, the best way to secure our future was, was to vote no. So yes, we will continue to be presented with all these bogus claims. I mean, let, let, let's, let's take them in turn. I mean, the, the deficit is not a barrier to, to access to the accession process. It has never been a barrier to the accession process. Um, it's not the case that a country's deficit needs to be at, at 3% when you apply to join the EU. Countries need to implement a plan, if you like, to bring their deficit closer to 3% by the time that they join. Um, but the real politique of the situation, if you look at what happened with Croatia, uh, you know, their deficit was particularly quite a bit higher uh, than, than, than 
And then they, they got themselves into a situation where they were closer to that 3% by the time. And of course, the po- post-pandemic, there's a lot of countries now that have a very much higher de- deficit than 3%. And that's not been uh, absolutely. And post-pandemic, the EU is now looking at not going back to that stability and growth pact. So there's countries like Italy and France that are making uh, the case for complete reform of those rules, because as you say, post-pandemic. So post-pandemic. So during the pandemic, those rules were relaxed. Uh, actually, not relaxed. They were completely taken out of context. They were completely frozen as such, um, because governments had to. Uh, borrow and, and do what they had to do during COVID. So those rules have not applied during COVID and now countries are making the case that, they, you know, that, that from a growth perspective, we should be looking at a different set of rules that are not so, so tight. So actually Scotland might find itself not having to comply with these rules. We'll see what happens going forward in the next few months. But certainly it is not true that you need to have your deficit at 3% um, when you apply for EU membership, you need to get it closer to that by the time that, that, that you join. And these things are always governed by the real politique. The EU would rather have countries in the European Union uh, and therefore if it has to, you know, take a few things or, 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 or give it some flexibility, then that, that would apply to Scotland too. Of the um, point around the Spanish veto, again, I think this is, um, you know, a, it's more scaremongering, I think, but for, for, for the, the Spanish government, it's always, it's always been about proving that Scotland is different to Catalonia, um, in the sense that the Spanish constitution, um, prevents the Catalan, uh, government from holding a legal referendum. It wouldn't be the case in Scotland if we had the section 30 order and therefore it's in their interest to point to those differences. And they've said time and time again. But if Scotland has a legal referendum, then Spain would not, would not block it. Um, something that Catalonia would not be able to do. So, um, so that again is, is, is another non-issue, frankly, um, that has been amplified by the new campaign. And again, on the Euro, you know, there are countries like Sweden who have not joined the Euro. Well, Romania come- indeed. Yep. And, yeah. and others. Mm-hmm. And, and others, and, and you know, um, I, I think, you know, we can have that debate later down the line as to what currency we want to use. It's up to us to decide what currency we want to use. Now, a large part of the seminar that we were uh, talking about that you held, um, that we talked about earlier in the podcast, was dedicated to the argument about whether or not we should apply for full EU membership or EFTA uh, membership. Could you uh, perhaps give our listeners a bit of insight into the importance of full EU membership and why that's now the Scottish government's uh, policy? Well, I, I, I think, um, you know, even if you look at what's happening right now, Drew, with EU being centre stage in development, creed, everyone's talking about, they're not talking about EFTA. EU is a club that we want to be part of because that is a club that gives us the vast majority of benefits. If you're in EFTA, which is, you know, a, a, an option, it is an option. I, I don't think that it is the best option, but if you're in EFTA, you don't get access to, uh, or, or rather you don't have re- full representation of all of the EU's, or, uh, EU's institutions. So you don't have a commissioner, you don't have directly elected MEPs, you don't have a judge in the European Court of Justice, you don't have the full 
uh, civil service body that you would uh, in Brussels, you would be rule takers, but not rule makers. You have to still um, apply EU legislation. So Norway uh, had to redefine its entire gas industry based on EU regulation. And Norway is not part of you, it's part of EFTA because EFTA member states, and I think you know, political parties, particularly in the yes movement, who make the case for EFTA, don't often say this, but uh, countries like Norway still have to implement EU legislation and they're not part of the EU. Now that to me is not full independence. If we've been trying to gain um, full independence for our country, I want what's best for Scotland on the world stage and I want Scotland to have the, you know, the fullest possible access, um, to, uh, to decision-making at the highest levels and EFTA would not give us that. So I think for, for me, that is a key point. But, well, just on that subject, there are some in the independence movement, uh, who we, you know, would seek to, uh, to have Scotland as an independent country, but also, uh, don't wish to rejoin the EU and they often use the line, which has now been, uh, you know, adopted by the no campaign. Why leave one union to, to join another? Um, you've just been talking about, you know, the difficulties that, uh, that Norway and, uh, you know, and others who are interacting with the EU, you know, have when they're not aligned with the, um, the rules, they have to adopt them anyway. We've seen the struggle that the UK's had being out of the EU, uh, you know, uh, with all the, the trying to, uh, to make sure it works. And we've seen the devastation to the, to Scotland and the rest of the UK's largest export and import market that the EU of some 400 and uh, you know, 40 million people. We've seen the, the impact of that for a past while. So I think it's pretty clear that there are benefits being in there. What, what would you say to that question though, uh, you know, just to, to further expand, why, why leave one union to join another? I must say I've never fully understood that question in the sense that, that, that comparison rather in the sense that the UK is a state, the European Union is a club of independent member states. And that is the difference. Uh, that if you are in a club of independent countries, you're able to come together to coalesce uh, and make a difference. And if, you were, if we're seeing what the EU is doing right now, or uh, the action that it took on Ukraine, uh, the very decisive action, I think that shows that what the EU is actually capable of doing when it gets its act together, when it is united. On too many issues, you know, like the... Um, the migrant crisis, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the Eurozone crisis. When the EU historically is faced with a new crisis, it doesn't always do very well, but it, it, it very quickly learns from those crises and it is then able to respond better in the future. But what we're, what we're seeing right now is a European Union that is united and effective on sanctions against Russia. Uh, and, and we're really seeing the power of the European Union functioning effectively right now. And it has taken a lead uh, well before the US and well before the UK. And so that is really what I, 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 I want to see Scotland be part of. It's a, it's a striking example, isn't it? Just now with the refugee crisis in Ukraine, how quickly um, the EU member states all agreed on a set of principles to, to suspend their immigration policies for three years, to allow people to get refuge and how difficult and you know uh, obstructive uh we've seen things happen in the 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 uk here and so the you a lot of it's because of the hostile environment but also because yeah. you know the, a, another part of it is because of the, the sheer chaos of 
uh, of the UK Home Office. But but I think that example of the EU being able to very quickly, all these independent nation states uh, being very quickly able to come together and agree a common set of rules that affect people and give people safe place is um, is a real example of the the power of being you know one of the members with a seat at the table of the EU and being able to work collaboratively. Uh, absolutely, and you know the. The other thing that I would say really is that, you know, the difference between uh, a, a, a voluntary European Union and the UK is that, you know, uh, Brexit was able to happen, you know, uh, right now the UK is denying us the right to, uh, to have an independence referendum for our mandates to be implemented. That's not a union of equals. The European Union is a union of equals that allowed the UK, well, of course it was, you know, the UK is an independent country and therefore it was always going to be able to have that referendum We're in a different situation. So that's really what I would say to people is there's a difference between a, a, a state whereby Scotland is not an equal player and a, a club of independent countries that pool their sovereignty for the greater good. And actually that to me is the greatest example of being an independent country is the opportunity to have that say and to be in that room with other uh, countries uh, represented. And, and of course, Scotland is at its core an international uh, country. It's a country that's always had international lookout. Its entire history for over a thousand years has been based on uh, cooperation and uh, working with uh, nations throughout Europe and, and, and beyond. It, we've we've seen Scotland's soft power increasing exponentially in the past few years. The most uh, obvious example, I think, is uh, you know when the first minister was meeting leaders from around the world at uh, COP twenty six, and uh, despite the the best efforts of uh, Boris Johnson's uh, government to keep her out of the uh, picture, you know we we saw the the, the these international leaders crossing the room to uh, to come and speak to her. It could being um, an EU member state enhance that soft power uh, even further? And what sort of uh, EU member do you believe that uh, Scotland would become? I, I think I think Scotland, as as a small EU member state, would um, have a lot of influence. Actually, as I said earlier, small EU countries had some of the most successful EU presidencies. I think that we could lead on areas of expertise like climate change and what we're doing with our you know climate change legislation and um, life sciences um fisheries uh there's a lot of areas where we have expertise in scotland where we could be leading the way in europe uh, and, and i think that having that distinct voice and um, would allow us to do that and um, i think that I, I would like to see our discourse on EU membership membership changed slightly from the whole, you know, firefighting, you know, um, around, you know, the border or uh, the Euro uh, uh, and the deficit to actually presenting what kind of member state Scotland would be, you know, what, what would our view be on, uh, you know, uh, migration, for example, or asylum or a European asylum policy. What would our view be on an energy policy for the whole of the European Union? I would like our politics to to take a bit more of an international shift um, and, and, and start acting almost like we were already an independent country in Europe. So that's 
what I hope for the next, you know, few months as we go into, um, hopefully an independence referendum in the future that we start thinking about, uh, policies at a, at a more regional level, you know, at a European regional level, um, and, and, and think about what contribution we would make to Europe, um, as an independent country. Do you, do you think that, um, you know, going through the, you, you talked about Scotland being dragged out of the EU against its will earlier. Do you think going through the Brexit debacle, I'll call it that because I've seen it unfolding at Westminster and that it's been just a complete and utter uh, mess based on a, you know, an ideology that, uh, you know, had no uh, foundation in, in uh, you know, any benefits for people living either here or indeed in the other nations of the UK. Do you think being, having to being forced to go through the Brexit process has really uh, changed uh, minds and attitudes over uh, over Scottish independence and the EU over the past few years. In terms of in terms of whether people are are more likely to to want to be part of the EU. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's a, a key thing. We've seen polls. Obviously, uh, Scotland voted sixty two percent to remain a pretty overwhelming sure. uh, result. All thirty two local authorities when the vote was held. Uh, but in the years that have uh, passed since Brexit, you know, what's your feeling about whether or not that's changed the uh, the view of, uh, of well, bit about the benefits of the EU? I think that on the whole, you know, we're seeing UK ministers constantly trying to prove that Brexit was a, was a success and they, they have nothing <laughs> to show. There is no Brexit dividend. I'm still waiting for this Brexit dividend. I mean, we're... If it, if there's any consolation, uh, they've put uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg in uh, in charge of finding that Brexit dividend, yeah. and so yeah. far he's so well, far, and I think he's come up in, empty. He's come up with one uh, complete untruth about the European Medicines Agency yeah. and uh, whether or not it would have blocked vaccines. Apart from that, um, yeah. they've come up with absolutely yeah. nothing. Well, I, I mean, we've seen just this week, haven't we, that that you know that UK exports have seriously underperformed um, and the post-lockdown trade bounce, you know, well, we've seen quite a few advanced economies um, making quite a strong recovery um, in trade, whereas UK exports, uh, I think, are, are, are actually at pre-pandemic levels. So um, what we're seeing now is, you know, the UK's own finance body, the OBR, saying that in the long term, it is Brexit that will have a bigger impact on our economy than the pandemic. I think the pandemic has almost to, to an extent masked the, you know, the, the initial impact of Brexit. Um, but the, the reality is, is that Brexit is costing us every single day. It's costing our businesses the red tape and um, it's costing our, our, our businesses right across the country. Uh, and. And the, the, the Brexit dividend that we were promised was a lie. There is no Brexit dividend. There is no more money for the NHS. Um, we're seeing structural funds and, you know, the high winds have benefited hugely over the years um, over, over structural funds. The, the, the UK equivalent is considerably smaller. Uh, in the, the levelling up fund is tiny in, in, yeah. in comparison to the EU funding that came uh, to the islands. Uh, absolutely. So, so, I mean... You know, they're, they're forever trying to, you know, we were told, you know, we were the fastest growing economy in the G7, um, which wasn't the case. And um, we were told that, you know, thanks to Brexit, we had the most successful vaccine rollout in, in Europe. Actually, you know, Portugal and other countries got there in the long run. Um, 
fast. So, you know, they're, they're forever trying to find something, anything, anything at all. Blue passports. Nothing. Blue passports, I think. Is yes, the... blue, blue passports <laughs> is, is yeah. what we're left with. And actually, you know, while we get blue passports, our young people aren't able to benefit from the likes of Erasmus and, yeah. uh, you know, exchanges, those cultural exchanges that made us all stronger, that helped us understand each, each other's cultures and languages. And I think that's really sad. You know, I think it's hugely sad that the opportunities that I have, we won't be able to pass this on, at least for now, to, to future generations. And that's why I think we need to uh, take, you know, to, to give Scotland the, the, the chance, the opportunity um, to have an independence referendum and, and to get back to a, a European Union um, that, that can help us thrive as a, as a country. You, you, you talked there about the deliberate harm that's been inflicted on Scotland's uh, trade, for example. One, one of the things that people don't often appreciate is that filters right through to uh, the cost of living crisis at the moment. You know, speaking to uh, people who are involved in uh, distri distribution and import of sometimes component parts um, for products that they produce here and whatever, I'm being told every day about the costs that are increasing for them that are now being passed on to consumers. We've seen, we're now seeing inflation at uh, record levels that we haven't seen for decades and decades. In fact, I, I think we're in the worst economic state since the Second World War in terms of, uh, you know, what's happening uh, just now. It, so those things are, are having real effects on people. And, you know, it, it's really important to understand that, that whilst, yes, there are global things going on, the war in Ukraine has an effect on the economy, other things have an effect on the economy as well. The Brexit has a direct impact on what's happening. And, and of course, as you said earlier, we can make a big difference by, um, by uh, rejoining the EU and being an independent country that makes it decisions for itself, might make some mistakes for itself. Sure. Nothing's going to be simple. No country yeah. ever has it completely right and gets it completely right, but at least you'd be making decisions for your own. Talking about your own view uh, on independence, um, if, if you could implement one policy or change a current policy policy that we can't do because we're not independent at the moment. Uh, what would that be? Oh gosh, but which one can I choose? I mean, I, I, I would say just because of what's happening right now, I would say probably immigration and asylum. It's just not working for us at all. I mean, in terms of, you know, the UK government's response to Ukraine, and um, we are so obsessed with this hostile environment policy that actually drove Brexit because, you know, the vast majority of, uh, of people we voted for, they voted it, voted for it uh, on, on, on those grounds on, on immigration. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, we will have the opportunity to create a, 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 an immigration and asylum system that works for us. We need to expand our tax base in Scotland. Uh, we have a completely different set of demographics and needs and, you know, uh, and, and actually that would allow us to, um, from a humanitarian perspective, ensure that, uh, that, you know, that we can respond effectively when we need to, to situations like create Ukraine or, or, or Syria. Um, uh, but actually economically ensure that we, uh, are able to build an economy that works for Scotland. Um, and as I say, expand that tax base from, you know, other parts of, um, the EU, other parts of the UK, 
Um, and I think that Scotland could be a very attractive place to live and work. Um, if only we had the powers at our disposal um, and to rid ourselves that, uh, of that um, really nasty politics, um, otherwise known as a hostile environment. I think that's quite a good place for us to uh, end our discussion uh, today. Tony Giuliano, thank you very much for joining us on Scotland's Choice. Thanks, you, Drew. Thanks for listening to Scotland's Choice. You can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot and you can watch the full-length videos on YouTube. If you can share this podcast and our videos, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry, and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm-hmm.